Dedication and Preface to the Master of Ballantrae by Robert Louis Stevenson This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland Dedication to Sir Percy Florence and Lady Shelley Here is a tale which extends over many years and travels into many countries. By a peculiar fitness of circumstance, the writer began, continued it, and concluded it among distant and diverse scenes. Above all, he was much upon the sea. The character and fortune of the fraternal enemies, the hall and shrubbery of Durisdeer, the problem of MacKellar's homespun and how to shape it for superior flights, these were his company on deck in many star-reflecting harbours, ran often in his mind at sea to the tune of slatting canvas, and were dismissed, something of the suddenest, on the approach of squalls. It is my hope that these surroundings of its manufacture may to some degree find favour for my story with seafarers and sea-lovers like yourselves. And at least here is a dedication from a great way off, written by the loud shores of a subtropical island near upon ten thousand miles from Boscombe, Kine, and Manor, scenes which rise before me as I write, along with the faces and voices of my friends. Well, I am for the sea once more, no doubt Sir Percy also. Let us make the signal B.R.D. R.L.S. Waikiki, May 17th, 1889. Preface Although an old, consistent exile, the editor of the following pages, revisits now and again the city of which he exults to be a native. And there are few things more strange, more painful, or more salutary than such revisitations. Outside, in foreign spots, he comes by surprise and awakens more attention than he had expected. In his own city, the relation is reversed, and he stands amazed to be so little recollected. Elsewhere, he is refreshed to see attractive faces, to remark possible friends. There he scouts the long streets with a pang at heart for the faces and friends that are no more. Elsewhere he is delighted with the presence of what is new, there tormented by the absence of what is old. Elsewhere he is content to be his present self, there he is smitten with an equal regret for what he once was and for what he once hoped to be. He was feeling all this dimly as he drove from the station on his last visit. He was feeling it still as he alighted at the door of his friend Mr. Johnstone Thompson, W.S., with whom he was to stay. A hearty welcome, a face not altogether changed, a few words that sounded of old days, a laugh, provoked and shared, a glimpse in passing of the snowy cloth and bright decanters and the pyrenesis on the dining-room wall, brought him to his bedroom with a somewhat lightened cheer, and when he and Mr. Thompson sat down a few minutes later, cheek by jowl, and pledged the past in a preliminary bumper, he was already almost consoled. He had already almost forgiven himself his two unpardonable errors that he should ever have left his native city, or ever returned to it. "'I have something quite in your way,' said Mr. Thompson. I wished to do honour to your arrival, because, my dear fellow, it is my own youth that comes back along with you. In a very tattered and withered state, to be sure, but, well, all that's left of it. 
A great deal better than nothing, said the editor. But what is this which is quite in my way? I was coming to that, said Mr. Thompson. Fate has put it in my power to honour your arrival with something really original, by way of dessert, a mystery. A mystery, I repeated. Yes, said his friend, a mystery. It may prove to be nothing, and it may prove to be a great deal, but in the meanwhile it is truly mysterious, no eye having looked on it for near a hundred years. It is highly genteel, for it treats of a titled family, and it ought to be melodramatic, for, according to the superscription, it is concerned with death. I think I rarely heard a more obscure or a more promising enunciation, the other remarked. But what is it? You remember my predecessor's, old Mr. Peter Mabriar's business? I remember him acutely. He could not look at me without a pang of reprobation, and he could not feel the pang without betraying it. He was to me a man of a great historical interest, but the interest was not returned. Ah, well, we go beyond him, said Mr. Thompson. I dare say old Peter knew as little about this as I do. You see, I succeeded to a prodigious accumulation of old law papers and old tin boxes, some of them of Peter's hoarding, some of his father's, John, first of the dynasty, a great man in his day. Among other collections were all the papers of the Duris Deers. The Duris Deers, cried I. My dear fellow, these may be of the greatest interest. One of them was out in the forty-five. One had some strange passages with the devil. You will find a note of it in Law's Memorials, I think. And there was an unexplained tragedy, I know not what, much later, about a hundred years ago. More than a hundred years ago, said Mr. Thompson, in 1783. How do you know that? I mean some death. Yes, the lamentable deaths of my Lord Derestier and his brother, the Master of Ballantrae, attainted in the Troubles said Mr. Thompson, with something the tone of a man quoting. Is that it? To say truth, said I, I have only seen some dim reference to the things in memoirs, and heard some traditions dimmer still, through my uncle, whom I think you knew. My uncle lived, when he was a boy, in the neighbourhood of St. Bride's. He has often told me of the avenue closed up and grown over with grass, the great gates never opened, the last lord and his old maid sister, who lived in the back parts of the house, a quiet, plain, poor, humdrum couple, it would seem, but pathetic, too, as the last of that stirring and brave house, and to the country folk, faintly terrible, from some deformed traditions. Yes, said Mr. Thompson. Henry Graham Dury, the last lord, died in 1820. His sister, the Honourable Miss Catherine Dury, in twenty-seven. So much I know. And by what I have been going over the last few days, they were, what you say, decent, quiet people, and not rich. To say truth, it was a letter of my lord's that put me on the search for the packet we are going to open this evening. Some papers could not be found, and he wrote to Jack Mabriar, suggesting they might be among those sealed up by a Mr. McKellar. Mabriar answered that the papers in question were all in McKellar's own hand, all, as the writer understood, of a purely narrative character, and besides, said he, I am not bound to open them before the year 1889. 
you may fancy if these words struck me. I instituted a hunt through all the Mabriar repositories, and at last hit upon that packet which, if you have had enough wine, I propose to show you at once. In the smoking-room, to which my host now led me, was a packet, fastened with many seals, and enclosed in a single sheet of strong paper thus endorsed. Papers relating to the lives and lamentable deaths of the late Lord Durris Deer and his elder brother James, commonly called Master of Ballantrae, attainted in the Troubles, and trusted into the hands of John Mabriar in the Lawn Market of Edinburgh, W.S., this twentieth day of September, Anno Domini, 1789, by him to be kept secret until the revolution of one hundred years complete, or until the twentieth day of September, 1889. The same compiled and written by me, Ephraim McKellar, for near forty years land steward of the estates of his lordship. As Mr. Thompson is a married man, I will not say what hour had struck when we laid down the last of the following pages, but I will give a few words of what ensued. Here, said Mr. Thompson, is a novel ready to your hand. All you have to do is to work up the scenery, develop the characters, and improve the style. My dear fellow, said I, they are just the three things that I would rather die than set my hand to. It shall be published as it stands. But it's so bald, objected Mr. Thompson. I believe there is nothing so noble as baldness, replied I, and I am sure there is nothing so interesting. I would have all literature bald, and all authors, if you like, but one. Well, well, said Mr. Thompson, we shall see. Editor's Note Johnstone Thompson, W.S., is Mr. C. Baxter, W.S., afterwards the author's executor, with whom, as Thompson Johnstone, Stevenson frequently corresponded in the broadest of broad Scots. The scene is laid in Mr. Baxter's house, 7 Rothesley Place, Edinburgh. End of preface to The Master of Ballantrae. Recording by Thomas Copeland.